Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to another episode of A Sound Heart Radio. I want to uh, thank God once again for this opportunity to meet with you and is to fellowship with you around his word. Uh, we always want to hold to the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, the centrality of God. Uh, he... Uh, can never be a peripheral affair for us. He must be central. And uh, God has said himself that he is a jealous God and he will not share his glory with another. Uh, please understand that when God speaks, God speaks truth and he says exactly what he means. And so when we study prophecy, uh, we understand that every detail, the most minute detail, must be accurate, and we find this in the Word of God. We have unprecedented uh, historical uh, information at our disposal for the veracity of the Word of God. We have incredible archaeological data, uh, also accompanying uh, the Word of God, and so we have what we need to know that God says what he means and means what he says. It is the cosmic system and the lies that it disseminates about the character and person of God that uh, we must be wary of because the cosmic system wants us distracted so that we do not uh, devote our full attention to the, uh, the God who is our Savior, the one and only God, the God uh, we, that we read about in the Greek New Testament, the Theos. Theos. Uh, he is the one and only God. And one must have a break, uh, an existential crisis, that is a break with the cosmic system and its lies, its, its, its false uh, beliefs before one can have a real relationship with God. And understand that there will be a shaking of the foundation. Uh, please read the book of Hebrews. God is going to shake the foundations of the cosmic system. Peter wrote that uh, God's going to destroy uh, this present cosmos. He's going to do, and the elements will melt with, the, with fervent heat, uh, is what Peter says. So that's the end 
uh, Peter prophesied about the end of a, the cosmic system. In the book of Job, we read that the heavens are not clean in his sight. And in Ezekiel 18.32, we read uh, God says he has no pleasure in the death of anyone. God has no pleasure in the death of anyone. I want to establish that uh, that first of all. John 3.16, uh, we read that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It is eternal life in the, in the Greek Testament. Uh, and so our God is a God of love. He is also a God of, of justice. Love is balanced by justice. And what we, what we study uh, when we study the, the Revelation is we will study about God's plan for Israel and God's and God, the unfolding of God's wrath upon uh, the Christ-rejecting world. Please understand, this is God's wrath. Now, uh, you may listen to people who say that they believe uh, in the post-tribulation rapture theory, that is, uh, the church is going to be snatched out after the tribulation period. And so, which is very interesting, uh, but it is hardly scriptural. And I listened briefly to uh, a talk the other day on, on BitChute, and uh, this individual uh, waited until about three or four minutes into his presentation, and then he said that uh, his position is post-tribulation uh, rapture of the church. And so from uh, instead of at the beginning stating his case and stating his premise and arguing for his position, uh, he waited and so, so that people would be pulled in to see where he was going with this. So it, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, the revelation opens with uh, the glorified Christ that John saw in his high priestly garb. And John saw him uh, walking among, uh, among the, the golden candlestick, the golden candlestand, which uh, represent the church, seven. The number seven is going to be very prominent or is prominent in the book of Revelation. But uh, I want to focus on Jesus. And the scripture, the entire scripture focuses on Jesus. And in the Revelation, he is the one uh, who unleashes the judgments of the tribulation period. So the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the vile bowl judgments are come upon the cosmos, cosmic system through the person of Jesus. He is central. He is not peripheral. And so I take a Christological approach 
to understanding the end times uh, so that because uh, I want and I, uh, I know that the Holy Spirit will guide us in our understanding if, we, if Christ is central. And uh, so, again, Ezekiel 18.32, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. So understand that about the character of God. And in Romans 2, Paul speaks of those who treasure up wrath, that is, uh, orgate, divine anger. They treasure up wrath against the day of wrath. So uh, it is a stunning, provocative, and powerful eschatological statement that there are individuals who treasure a wrath, uh, that is, they have an account. And uh, the wrath that they go through is not going to end uh, with the sufferings that are going to be unleashed upon the cosmic system upon this planet in the tribulation period. No, this, this, these, these things end in judgment at the uh, at the end of the tribulation and uh, the subsequent consignment uh, into uh, the lake of fire with the devil and his angels and Jesus makes an incredible statement about the lake of fire he said it was prepared for the devil and his angels and you know in the Greek it is in the perfect tense so that is, that, is, that is a stunning statement. And so understand uh, the devil, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the devil is the god of this age. And remember what he said to Jesus uh, during the, uh, the temptation in the wilderness and that he had a thought, uh, these kingdoms had been delivered unto him and he had authority to deliver these kingdoms unto whomsoever he pleases. And Jesus rejected this offer by the devil. And the devil wanted him to bow before him. The devil, the devil, Satan, wanted the incarnate God to bow before him. It is it was blasphemy that the created being should even say to the creator, bow before me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. It is incredible. And so this is the the mindset. This is the pathological mind 
of the of the satanic cosmos. This is the corrupted thinking of the creature. So when we uh, before we get into uh, before we study the field judgment, uh, something wonderful takes place in Revelation chapter five and Revelation chapter six. So in Revelation five, uh, John writes, uh, "Quote." Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to seal and to open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even to look inside it, unquote. I want to stop there for a moment. Notice the statement in verse chapter 3, in verse 3. But no one in heaven, Uranus, or on earth, gay, G-E, or under the earth. So, the Bible, the Bible tells us or gives us an understanding of the the, the structure or uh, the this biblical cosmology. That is uh, the the structure of uh, of the universe of reality. Uh, there have been people who have objected to. The idea of a third heaven. Uh, they, you know, they, we know that there's the immediate atmosphere, and then space, and then above that uh, is the third heaven. Paul writes that he was caught up to the third heaven, and he saw things that were unutterable, or that human speak. Uh, of which human speak could not be involved. It was so marvelous. Things that that corrupted lips should uh, could not utter. The third heaven. And so the question is, who is worthy to break the seals of this scroll and open the scroll? No one was found. And in verse 4, John writes uh, that he wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. So the scroll, of course, is an ancient book. We say book. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion." of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able, or he is powerful, to open scroll and its seven seals. And so uh, herein is our victory. And then John writes, 
Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. I want to stop here because in verse 5, one of the elders said, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then in verse 6, he is called the lamb. I saw the lamb. I beheld the lamb looking as if it had been slain. So in his glorified body, in his resurrection body, the wounds that Jesus suffered on our behalf are there upon his person for all eternity. For all eternity, the wounds of love will be visible to us. So, he must be central. Notice, in verse 6, standing in the center of the throne. He was standing in the center. Is Jesus in the center of your life? Now, I'm just, let me go into this a little more. Peter writes that we have been made partakers of the divine nature. We have been given eternal life, God's own life. So when we talk about our life, do you give your life to, to Christ? Think about the language we use. Think about what we are saying. And then read the New Testament and see how, how often the New Testament uses that language. Does not. Purchase through the blood of Jesus out of the slave market of sin. We were not purchased with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Here, he is in the center, in verse 6, in the center of the throne. So when we skip over chapters 5 and 6, or we lightly read them and uh, because we want to get to uh, the judgments, we want to, we want to study and read about uh, the seals and the trumpets and the vials or the bowls. And we miss the central theme of the revelation, and that is Jesus. He is the center of revelation. The revelation is a Christocentric document. We should be Christocentric living documents. 
period. Revelation is very it's, it's fascinating because first his relationship that is the relationship of Jesus to the the church is given in chapter two verses one through seven. We have Ephesus, the loveless church. In chapter two verses eight and uh, through eleven, we have Smyrna. The persecuted church. Why was Smyrna persecuted? Because they were faithful to God, and they were exhorted. Uh, is not they were exhorted, they were exhorted by God not to fear. In the Greek, we have quote: "Do not fear these things which you are about to suffer." Unquote. That's Smyrna. In chapter 2 of Revelation, verses 12 through 17, we have Pergamos. We have the worldly church. And in chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, we have Thyatira, the paganized church. Verses 1 through 6, we have Sardis, the lifeless church. So this church was called upon to awake and strengthen what remains and to remember what it had received and heard. That is, they need to recover God's word in their lives. They need to keep it and they need to repent. That is, change their present course, total spiritual death. I want you to hear me. Now, Sardis is a church characterized by what we call nominal Christianity. And so, and probably a lot of the people were admitted to the fellowship of this church without regeneration, that is, without being born again. And hence, Jesus spoke about erasing or blotting out names from the book of life. So here's the hard language of this book of the, of this church. And so God talks about their erasure uh, in the sense of not being chosen for salvation. That is, their name uh, is not in the book of life. And there were a few true believers in Sardis who had not soiled their garments by dead works and are worthy because they trust in Christ and are in him. So therefore, they are clothed in white garments, which are symbolic of the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. He is in the center of the lives of the ones who are saved. But generally, 
Sardis was the church of dead orthodoxy. In chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, we have the church of Philadelphia. This was the missionary church. And uh, these people went out and witnessed to the name, they witnessed the gospel message. Look, and God says, because it had a little strength, that is spiritual power, uh, they took the opportunity to witness for Christ. They kept his word and had not denied his name. So God said, what? Because you are this way and, and you have done this, God says, look, because you have kept, that is, observed and obeyed my word or the word of my patience, says, I'm going to keep you, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation or the troubling or the testing that is to come in the day of the Lord. Daniel's 70th week, the final seven years of terrible trouble, which will engulf time that is described in Revelation uh, chapter 6 through 19. And last, in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22, we have Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the lukewarm church. Uh, and Jesus calls himself the Amen. I love that. And the faithful and true witness, uh, in contrast to this church's compromising infidelity. You know, troublesome to me when I hear people talking about the coming of the Lord and the rapture and the tribulation period. And I wait, and I wait, and I wait for them to say one thing about sin in the lives of believers, and I don't. It is as if First John chapter 1 is not real. It is as if we're dealing with sinless people who have been deluded into believing or led astray into believing that they have no sin. And first John tells us he who said he has no sin makes God a liar. God tells, Jesus tells the church of Laodicea that they need to buy gold tried in the fire. That is real wealth, real wealth. They need the Savior who cleanses the heart and who will give them the white raiment of a truly regenerated and sanctified life. And I salve, that is to heal their, their spiritual blindness and to heal their eyes so that they would have real spiritual insight and knowledge. And not only that, 
Jesus promises chastening to those in Laodicea uh, who belong to Christ because they need to repent of their compromising, uh, compromising disloyalty and unbelief. Over the years, I've heard people say they they want they want uh, revival. I've heard this, and I rarely hear that anymore, if ever. Oh Lord, revival! Oh, we want a revival. I don't hear that anymore. Lukewarm people, uh, Luke, uh, who have a lukewarm faith, uh, you know, Jesus Jesus finds this nauseating. He finds it nauseating. Oh man, you read some of the things that God said about uh, Israel in the Old Testament and their spiritual adultery. Read, Read some of the things that God said about them. Oh, it would probably make a lot of people's hair stand up. If, you know, in, in Jeremiah, God's people are called, uh, he said that they are nymphomaniacal beasts. God said this about his people through, through Jeremiah, nymphomaniacal beasts. Sniffing up the wind. Ezekiel talks about harlots and their harlotry and their how worn out they are and how even when they put on cosmetics and makeup to make themselves appear appealing and attractive they're so worn out that they that they follow the enemy and pay the enemy it's really bad, you guys. It's really, really bad. But then again, it is unflatteringly accurate. And so the Northern Kingdom went on its merry way into their syncretistic relationship with the religions, the indigenous religious practices, and in Yahwism. And so they tried to, uh, they tried to unite Yahwism and Baalism, and they were destroyed by God in 722. The Southern Kingdom didn't learn that much from what had happened to the northern kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar, who came along and dismantled and then finally destroyed the southern kingdom. But God says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. Please read Ezekiel. 1832, please read that verse. 
So the church at Laodicea had ousted the Savior. And in their boldness and arrogance and, and, and spiritual lassitude, they did not even miss Jesus. Think about that. They were worldly wise. And so the Savior appears on the outside, knocking on the doors of individual hearts, waiting for them to receive him and to enter into fellowship with him. And to the overcomer is promised the right to sit with Christ on his own throne in the coming kingdom. So, and then, so this is what we have in Revelation. This is what we have before we get to the seal judgment. And so, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, we have this scroll or the, the seven-sealed book. And this book is the title deed to the earth. Listen carefully. Men in their arrogance set up economic systems. They have, in certain areas, technological prowess. They've been able to achieve some things that I won't discuss here. Not because they're inappropriate, but some of these things are fantastic. Others are horrifically cruel. And God knows the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, beholding the good and the evil. So God sees. When in John 3 we read, men loved darkness rather than light because their their deeds were evil. Oh, man. Oh, yes. These demonized, these demonized men and women Loved darkness. In John 3.16, we have agape, divine self-sacrificial love. And she verses down, men love darkness, the same word agape, rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Same word, the same word. People, some people play church. Some people like to play with God. Some people like to sin openly before the living God. Some people have a real knowledge of God, and they and they turn to sin because They have not crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. And I've seen people's lives end very badly. 
I've seen people really, I've seen them dissolve because of sin. When they could confess their sins and realize that he is faithful and faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because listen, every every sin leaves a wound. What are you thinking right now? The thoughts of foolishness or sin. The Bible says that. I can have a sinful attitude and towards someone or some group and the sinful attitude is going to eventuate in my ruin, in my ineffectual, uh, my life being ineffectual. And one's thinking becomes corrupted. Corrupt thinking does what? It destroys the individual. And it will also destroy those within the periphery of this of this compromised individual. See, People sometimes people have to go to counseling, uh, and the counseling the counselor or therapist may not use the word compromise or compromise co- uh, culpability, but a theological or biblical counselor may. I knew a professor in seminary who said he went to a secular council because uh, the biblical councils he knew were horrible gossips. I I understand that, but, you know, to a certain extent, but I don't know what what he had to hide or what he was afraid to confess, uh, as we read in the book of James, what he was ashamed of. Confess your sins one to another. Confess your faults one to another. Is what the Bible teaches. Is what the Bible teaches. The Word of God makes us healthy. The Word of God grants us health, because the Word of God is alive and powerful. The Word of God is living. We are living documents. The Word of God is living because it is the eternal Word of God. Oh. After we are saved and we start growing up in in the Word, uh, you will see so many things heal in your life. Your memories, your thoughts, your desires will become appropriate because they become Christ-centered. Your wants become Christ-centered. And so when those things begin to change, uh, you will find yourself living a satisfied life because uh, you find your, satis- your all your satisfaction in Christ. That's the way it works. And I've also seen believers who live uh, duplicitous lives. And some may call them nominal Christians, but it is real. Uh, it is really a duplicitous existence because there's no living about because there's there are too many lies that uh, one has to keep secret and uh, but Psalm 90 tells us that our secret sins are in the light of his countenance so there's no real hiding of sin 
the Lord Jesus Christ knows the depths of the sinful cosmos, and he is going to judge both sinful angels and sinful men and women. The scroll represents the title deed to the earth. The usurpation of the earth through the powers of darkness will be arrested, overcome, and they will be summarily thrown into the lake of fire. In Revelation 19, the judgment of the great white throne is the judgment of the the dead. They're not going to be tried there, but because they they come out of where? They come out of Hades, the world of shades. And they're standing there in their resurrection bodies. The dead will have resurrection bodies. Their resurrection bodies are designed exclusively for suffering. For eternity. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books. But the depraved actions, the horrific things that men have done and women have done because they love darkness rather than life, and they attempt to hide their deeds and sins in the earth, the blood they have spilled, the children they have murdered uh, and destroyed, the lives they have ruined, all will be revealed. Jesus said it. All will be revealed. What is hidden will be shouted from the rooftops. Jesus said this. Matthew 28, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. There will be no hiding. There will be no running. The Bible says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. It is my prayer that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Please read 1 Corinthians 15. Please read it carefully. Please give your life to the Lord and live for him. Because these things are coming to an end through the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good evening and God bless you.